And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Friday, August 26th. Derek Van Riper, Al Melchior here. Taking a look around the league for interesting waiver wire targets for this weekend. We've got a few more top prospects that are likely to get promoted before the end of the season. Players we've been talking about now for the last couple of weeks. So we'll dig into those players as well as some overlooked guys that are maybe playing a lot more, taking on larger roles than expected that could actually provide some help over the final month plus. Al, we begin up top with some of the top prospects. We talked earlier in the week about the changes to the CBA, and now we're at the point in the season where a player cannot accrue enough service time to lose eligibility for next year's Rookie of the Year award, which is important because teams now receive compensation in the form of draft picks for players winning those awards. So aside from comments made by front offices. We have an indication that Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, uh, both of those players might actually see significant time down the stretch for their respective clubs. I know we've talked about them a little bit off and on for probably a month or so now in leagues where both are still available and you have to choose between one. And I think we could throw Josh Young in Texas in this conversation as well. How do you prioritize these three players in situations where you can't necessarily go get all of them? Uh, great. Well, now I have to throw Young into the equation because I, I just was writing about the the Carroll versus Henderson uh, comparison. I, I give a very slight edge to Corbin Carroll. Um, just been a little bit more impressive at the, the AAA level. Also, I think maybe there's a little bit more of an opportunity for him to play regularly with the Diamondbacks really not having anything to do but evaluate for next season with the Orioles. And Dan Connolly actually made this point in a column that came out very shortly after you and I had the discussion on the uh, earlier episode this week at this podcast. Uh, and Dan Connolly made the comment that, uh, first of all, Henderson, he said, will be up this year at some point. But, you know, they may bench him at some point if that's what's best for the team since they're they're very much in the wild card race. So I think for those reasons, I would give uh, Carroll certainly the edge over Henderson. It's a little bit harder with Young because he's been been out almost all season. But I think because of that, even though he's you know hitting hitting well, um, I think I would put him at the back of this short list of three. Yeah, I think I prefer Carroll to Henderson just slightly for redraft purposes where you're trying to throw a late dart in a 10-12 team league, any situation where they haven't been added already. But Young just seems like a player people might be sleeping on. Uh, part of the reason for me with the preference for Carroll is that I think the stolen bases could be there right away. I think giving a young player the green light on the base paths is less likely when you're contending for a playoff spot. So that aspect of Henderson's game may take a little longer. It might be more from you know next season as opposed to something you get right away now. I think with Carroll, why wouldn't you let him run? If he's getting on base at a clip where he can he can do things like that, let him do it. Um, Young, I think, is probably the highest floor bat of the three. He's, he's just going to mash, I think, once he arrives. So I uh, would not 
discount him. And I think all three of these players are going to be players that we talk about as very good fantasy players for a long time. So it's an exciting time with more prospects coming up later in the year than we expected. Um, I do want to talk about Shea Langoliers again because we're seeing the usage now over a slightly longer period of time. Plenty of playing time in the DH role. They're letting Langoliers and Murphy play together in the lineup pretty much every day. So is Langoliers doing enough and getting enough playing time where you're thinking about him in single catcher leagues? I think there's no doubt he's viable in pretty much any sort of two-catcher format. But the cutoff oftentimes is, is he a top 15 catcher right now with the combination of skills he displayed in the minors and the opportunity he's getting to start his big league career? Top 15 for sure. So if you are talking about a a one-catcher league that's got 15 teams or more, Langelier should probably be in it because of the playing time and the ceiling and the fact that already in the major leagues he's showing some power. Although, as you and I discussed on a very recent episode, there's also been a lot of swinging and missing too for Langelier. So it, it may just seem like uh, you know minutia to make this distinction. I have not been thinking of him as like a 10 or a 12 team uh, one catcher catcher, uh, but um, I've got it. I'm in a 12 team one catcher league where Langoliers was picked up. So it's, it's a pretty fine distinction. I, I don't, I didn't think that that was completely out of bounds. Uh, it's just not where I have them ranked. I just think one of the big separators between other catchers is the way they're utilized playing time wise. So many teams mix and match, they share uh, nearly evenly, or maybe it's a two-thirds, one-third split. And being able to get over that two-thirds playing time threshold can be the difference between single catcher viability and and only being viable in two-catcher leagues. So I think I'd be on the side that's comfortable pushing Langoliers onto rosters in 12-team leagues that use one catcher if you know I'm looking for an upgrade in that spot. Um, Let's talk about Manuel Margot. We're going to kind of dig into some guys that are just piling up more playing time than expected recently. Margot is just one of those players, because he spent some time on the IL, he was dropped in a lot of leagues. He's rostered in about 30% of CBS leagues as we record this on Friday afternoon. Playing a ton for the Rays is getting a day off on Friday, so it'll be five of the last seven games that he started since coming off the IL once we account for Friday. But he's got a prominent spot in the lineup. He's even made one start in center field, which is a bit of a problem spot for the Rays. If you look back at the numbers going back to last season, Margot has 18 stolen bases since the start of 2021, 13 home runs. Um, He has been caught nine times as a base dealer, so the success rate isn't as high as you'd like, but he really is a do a little bit of everything well kind of player. And I think he should be rostered in certainly more than 30% of leagues at this point. I agree a lot more. I think he, when you see a roster rate like that, especially if you're talking about on, on CBS, you're talking about a player who's really not being rostered in 12 team leagues. And I think with that, certainly the speed uh, that he should be in some 12 team leagues and there's a little bit of power there too. So uh, all the more reason. So I agree. Margot, very, very under-rostered. And we sometimes see this in late August going into September when people are maybe starting to pay a little bit more attention to their football drafts. Um, and, uh, you know, a player like this who who comes back uh, maybe falls uh, through the cracks a little bit. Yeah, so far this year, 305, 365, 433 in 56 games for Margot. I don't expect the average to be quite that high, but he's at least solid in that category by projection and that power-speed combo with the run production that should be there uh, makes him, I think, 12-team viable at this point. So definitely think about him if you're looking for some help in your outfield. Um, I would make another case for Jake Fraley here, just sort of in passing, too. I was looking at a leaderboard 
just for August. And the power's been there. The slash line looks good. The playing time is steady. Home park, certainly good too. So don't forget about Jake Fraley if you're in a shallow league and, and he might still be sitting on the wire in some of those. Um, I want to talk about Emmanuel Rivera though, Al. We've brought him up on one or two shows in the second half of this season. And he's really playing not only more than I expected, but in a higher lineup spot than I expected too. So he started 10 of the last 11 games entering play on Friday, hitting second or third in the lineup on all of those occurrences. And he's now on a pace that would make him a 20 home run guy over a full season's worth of plate appearances. The barrel rate backs up the power. He's got a 10.3% barrel rate this season. Third base, as we've said many, many times on this podcast throughout the season, has been tricky if you've been chasing that position. I think Rivera can actually help people out in more leagues than we previously expected. I agree with that, too. Uh, the playing time is there, like you said, a nice position in the Diamondbacks lineup. You mentioned the barrel rate, and the barrel rate's backing up the power, and the exit velocity is backing up the barrel rate. I was looking at a leaderboard earlier today working on the, the waiver column, and I didn't write about Rivera, but his name was was very high uh, on the sort of uh, exit velocity on flies and liners uh, over the last uh, month or so. So, yeah, very encouraging, and I think that given the the position that he plays uh, that does put him on the radar in, in 12 team leagues. Yeah. Interested to see if he can carve out a role for himself for the 2023 diamondbacks, but definitely a, an overlooked trade deadline acquisition, at least based on usage and performance up to this point. I know you talked about him last week when Eno stepped in for me, Oswaldo Cabrera has uh, played four different spots already in his first eight games with the Yankees. He started again on Thursday, even with Giancarlo Stanton back from the injured list. But I'm curious to know, do we think the playing time is going to dry up? They did give DJ LeMahieu a day off. Uh, he's got a lingering toe injury. It's been bothering him. So are we looking at Cabrera as someone who's versatile enough to play nearly every day, even with Stanton back? Or are we going to worry about the playing time maybe dropping off to the point where the temporary opportunity for him to be an everyday player fades and ultimately that pushes him away from some of the shallow mixed leagues where he might have been viable for yeah. last week. Yeah, I think it's that latter scenario, DVR. Um, and, and I did, and when I talked about this with Eno, I made the case that I thought that Cabrera, and this is really more just in comparison with Esteban Florial, that uh, I, I liked Cabrera his chances to contribute in fantasy better. Now he has played much more regularly than, than Florial, but uh, I, I was hoping that he would take this opportunity to at least hit for a little bit of power, hit for, for average. He really hasn't produced a whole lot. And the, the versatility is a, is a nice bonus. And it might be a thing that keeps him relevant for, for deeper leagues and especially mono leagues. But what I was foreseeing is that maybe he would spend a lot of time at shortstop and he's not really showing anything yet that would make him an upgrade over uh, Isaiah kind of for Leffa. So uh, yeah, I, I imagine that now with Stanton back, we will see that playing time taper off quite a bit. If you picked him up already or you're thinking about picking him up, at least keep an eye on the playing time for the rest of their current weekend series against the A's because that could be an indication of what's to come for Oswaldo Cabrera. I mean, it's an old enough team. They can justify giving a lot of different players a day off. That versatility could be enough to keep him in the lineup maybe 75 to 80% of the time, but he has to start hitting very quickly to make that work for us in a lot of the smaller leagues that are out there. We've seen... A lot of Ezekiel Duran, really since he rejoined the club in late July. Five consecutive starts entering play on Friday, getting pretty much every day run at third base at this point. 
stuck in the bottom half and usually the bottom third of that Rangers lineup. And uh, they're interesting tools here, Al, but what are you doing with Duran where available? If he is somehow available in 15-teamers, I think he belongs there just for the the playing time and for the ceiling. But Durant's been a little bit frustrating because the the playing t- the playing time's consistent lately, but it hasn't been all season long. The production uh, hasn't been there uh, for much of the time that he's been up. So that that's kind of where I'm seeing him is uh, somebody who should be rostered in 15-teamers, not really much shallower than that, and somebody who will probably sit about as often as he starts. Let's talk about a couple of Cardinals. Lars Newtbar kind of fits into our outfielder conversation from a few minutes ago. I think the way they're using him right now in St. Louis, you could probably think about him in 12-team leagues where available. Uh, do you prefer Newtbar versus Fraley versus Margot? Do you have a strong preference among the three? Right now, I would prefer Newtbar over both of them. It's definitely clearly over Fraley, who's just on a heater right now and has a pretty low batting average floor, and uh, I don't necessarily trust the power uh, from from here on out. I, I I like him for the the red schedule this week and the fact that he's leading off and that he is hitting well right now. But Newbar's been hitting well for for several weeks now, uh, for about a month and a half, and um, you know playing regularly uh, atop a great lineup. So uh, to me, he's definitely somebody in, in 12 team leagues because he is available in so many of them that he's got to be like the, the first player at the top of the list, uh, not a contingent bid player, but somebody that you really need to target to get onto your 12 team rosters. Yeah. Really nice August so far for Lars Newtbar, 306, 447, 569, 94 plate appearances. He's popped three homers, stole two bases. And of course, when you're playing like that, your counting stats are good too. 17 runs scored and 11 RBI in 23 games over the course of this month. So it has been excellent for him. If you picked him up, uh, once that opportunity opened up at the trade deadline, you've been rewarded to this point. Uh, How about Newt Barr's teammate, Albert Pujols, getting an opportunity to maybe reach 700 home runs before season's end, thanks to a, a binge here in the last four weeks. Seven homers in August now for Albert Pujols. 49 plate appearances, though, so about half as many plate appearances as Newt Barr. We know it's mostly opportunities against lefties, but he's been destroying them. I have a hard time believing it can work when the playing time is this small. and It kind of feels like you're chasing the best heater of the late part of Albert Pujols' <laughs> career if you're trying to use him in any sort of mixed league right now. What? Encourages me about Pujols is that, and I wrote about both Pujols and Newt Barr in the waiver column this week, and just you know, by coincidence, I, I noticed that their hot streak started like a day apart <laughs> in in the middle of July. So, I mean, they've both been producing at a high level for about a month and a half. The thing is, Newt Barr's been doing it as an everyday player. Pujols, as you mentioned, has been doing it as somebody who's playing maybe slightly a little bit more than half the time. So playing pretty much every day against lefties, getting occasional starts against righties, but nothing close to a true every, everyday role for Pujols. So you as as Great as he's been, I mean, he has been, even with the limited playing time, one of the most productive players over the last month, month and a half. But it's still the playing time is not enough that you can roster him in 12-teamers. But the good part of this is that he is still available in a lot of 15-teamers, including mine. I was very pleasantly surprised to see when I was looking at free agents in one of my 15-teamers uh, today that Pujols was still there. I think there's a place for him there I th- as long as he stays on this heater. And again, he's been on it for about seven weeks. Uh, three or four starts a week, I think is enough. I 
think I would put him down as more of a contingency option in those 15-team leagues were available just because I think the the safer playing time floors of the other corner options are more likely to be a net positive for you. But hey, if he stays as hot as he's been, it's going to work out just fine. Um, the other player that's in a limited role right now that's doing a lot with that role is Keston Hira. Five homers in 12 games so far in August. Has a stolen base in there as well. K rate at 34.3%, so still very high, but not quite the 40% that we've seen in recent stretches from him. I think it's still too small of a role in most cases, but if you're thinking about Pujols in a 15-team league as kind of a bench option, I think here is probably in a similar role right now for the Brewers and offers kind of similar skills, actually, with a little bit of speed on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, probably less batting average, but definitely more speed than, than Pujols. So yeah, I, I think that's a great comp. And I think if you are willing to make that contingency bid on Pujols and your 15-teamers, then I would probably put Hira behind Pujols, but again, if your need is more for stolen bases and less for batting average, uh, I have no issue with with those uh, players being flipped. If you're in a keeper or a dynasty scenario and Hira is out there right now, he is 26, he turned 26 earlier this month. Do you pick him up now as a cheap stash and just kind of wait and see what the offseason might bring? Because there may be a team out there that wants to see what he can do over a full season's worth of plate appearances. Again, the slash line for the year, 55 games with the Brewers so far, we're sitting at what, 242, 352, 510. I mean, that's actually really good despite the uh, swing and miss problems that he's been dealing with. That's kind of what we were looking for a couple years ago from here, right? I mean, you'll you'll take that. And the, the big issue is the playing time for him. So I like that suggestion to pick him up in a fairly deep keeper league, you know, where you get to where you really have a lot of keeper slots or maybe unlimited keeper slots. Uh, I, I like that a lot because he is still young enough that he could put up those kinds of numbers in a regular role. I, I, I hold out that possibility. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A few more catchers that I just wanted to throw out there real quick. I know Sebi Zavala is getting more run right now because his money Grundahl is on the IL for the White Sox. But I did see just before we started recording, Grundahl has already started a rehab assignment. So that playing time will probably shift pretty quickly. The two guys that I'm sort of interested in if I'm looking to fill in a two-catcher league are Nick Fortes in Miami and P.J. Higgins in Chicago. And I think Nick Fortes has 146 plate appearances since debuting. I believe that was back in May. He's got a sub-20% K rate for the season. It's a 242, 315, 447 line. Really not bad for a catcher. And since debuting, he's 10th among catchers in runs scored. He's 23rd in RBIs and tied for 16th 
in home runs. So I think that actually plays just fine in a two-catcher league. And I think he's one of those players that a lot of people are still ignoring. Yeah. Um, and the probably the biggest negative is the fact that uh, he's in a Marlins lineup that is just not doing anything uh, of late. But in two-catcher leagues, um, he's definitely somebody that you could cycle in. Uh, I'm sure there are people out there that have teams like, like some of mine where I've just been cycling catchers all year long, or at least cycling that second catcher. I think Fortis is worth a try uh, in in that role. You give him a week or two, and uh, the you know the home runs have been fairly steady. And for a second catcher, if you just get power, just get a little something that's uh, better than you can get from a lot of your other options. More interesting skills for Fortes than there uh, there are for PJ Higgins. But Higgins plays a few other positions, and I think it's that playing time volume. It's ticked up to the point where he can be a useful uh, temporary solution if you're chasing playing time with that second catcher spot. Now, I love the scenario. We've had this happen a few different times this season, Al. We've had players getting promoted on Friday evening, and we're recording on Friday afternoon. And we'll get a look at the player at some point before Fab actually runs. In this case, it's a pitcher in D.C. Cade Cavalli is going to make his big league debut on Friday night. Really good numbers in the minors, especially over the last two months. The overall numbers this season, just over a strikeout per inning, a sub-4 ERA, a whip under 1.2. If you read scouting reports, the main concern is command. So it's either going to be walks or home runs, probably giving him some fits early on in his big league career. But it's been a rough season. If you've been chasing pitching on a regular basis, finding consistently good innings has been a challenge. And I think you can at least look at Cavalli as a matchup-based starter because workload-wise, he should be fine for most of September. I don't think an early shutdown is likely just based on how much they used him last year and where his innings count sits this year. So what's your interest level in Cavalli as maybe one of the last pitching prospects that will get a shot this season? Yeah, it feels like we keep saying that, but uh, <laughs> Cavalli's been one of those those names that we've kind of held to the side and said, okay, but but he's still probably coming up at some point. And I, I just want to underscore the point that you already made that while the overall, overall numbers are pretty good, uh, the more recent numbers from the last couple of months are really very good, um, it, well over a strikeout per inning. I think the strikeout rate over the last couple of months has been just shy of 30%. So putting up Really good numbers, a lower walk rate too, an ERA in that span, I think around one and a half. Uh, so he's been outstanding uh, in, in AAA for the last couple of months. And it's uh, it's faint praise, but I would anticipate that Cavalli is probably going to be the Nationals' best starter from this point, out, this point forward. And I think he's kind of borderline relevant in 12-teamers if he can come at all close to what he did uh what he did in the the latter part of the season in AAA that's at least as a streamer somebody that you could use in 12 teamers and the first start that he's slated to make uh if you do pick him up this weekend would be against Oakland so that's pretty nice too yeah even if the trust level is reasonably low in the short term that is a matchup that you want for just about any pitcher out there and last seven starts going back to July 6th at AAA uh, 147 ERA. How about a 43 to 12 strikeout to walk ratio? No home runs allowed over 36 and two thirds innings for Cavalli leading into this promotion. Let's take a look at Matt Manning. He's come up on a few episodes over the course of this season, mostly as a speculative ad as he worked his way back from an injury and a consideration for some really deep leagues. Should still be available in a lot of 12 team leagues out there. How about a 27 to 9 strikeout to walk ratio in 30 innings over the course of August? 
and he's gone at least five innings in each of those outings as well. If he hasn't been on your radar before this week, a two-start week coming is probably going to pull him into the radar for you. Uh, we got home matchups against the Mariners and the Royals. I think that second matchup is easy enough where I'm willing to take my chances on the first one, even though we know that Mariners offense tends to be a top eight, top 10 sort of lineup that can do some damage. Yeah, I, overall, I do like that that double dip for Manning. And I'm just, I'm really impressed by what he's done over the last four starts. Uh, and, and I don't usually like to give that much weight to that small of a sample. But it's just, it's such, I guess there's two things here. It's a dramatic improvement over what he did prior to uh, coming off the IL. Most of that was in, in 2021. Uh, just a miserable 2021, both at AAA and with the Tigers. But also the fact that what he is doing now is what we might have expected from Manning if we were, you know, coming here on the time machine from, you know, 2018, 2019. Uh, so, you know, with somebody who's, uh, you know, got such a, a high prospect pedigree, I was actually surprised, DBR. I went back and looked at the Fangraphs prospect rankings for the Tigers coming into 2021. So not that long ago, you know, uh, two, two seasons ago, last, well, be, before last season, he was ranked, he was ranked second overall in the Tiger system behind Torkelson, ahead of Tarek Skubal, ahead of Casey Mize. So I, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but that was shocking to me, given that my perceptions were so, uh, I think, so, so tilted by what, what he did last year. So, by that, by the same token, I'm taking what he's doing lately, you know, much more seriously, you know, given that that this was the tra- trajectory a lot of us thought he would be on. Yeah, I think you go back to a few different points since the Tigers had all three of those pitchers, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tarek Skubal, uh, all in the system. And I think if you ask different people at various points, the order would come out different every single time in terms of which of those three pitchers they thought was going to be the best big league starter. With Manning, a lot of injuries have slowed him down. I think have really uh, limited how effective he's been, even in the upper levels of the minor leagues. But you take a look at the pitch mix so far this season, and he's got a four-seamer, a slider, a curveball, a sinker, and even throws a changeup occasionally. So we're talking about five pitches for a younger starter, mixes them pretty well. The slider's getting really good results, so he's got a, a breaking pitch that he can use that hitters can't really seem to do a whole lot with. Uh, even though it's not premium velocity, it's sort of a good enough velocity. And I think matchups-wise, too, you can find yourself uh, with more good matchups than bad with him working out of the AL Central. So it uh, could just be the kind of player delay, delivering on that promise after a bit of a delay, and it wouldn't be that surprising I'm willing to take the chance on him in a 12-team league, especially um, if I'm chasing ratios. But even if I'm not, I think there's a good chance that you can uh, get quality innings from Manning here over the final month-plus of the season. We do have a a pitcher coming off the IL or likely to come off the IL at some point in the near future, probably going to be this week. Trevor Rogers, who just cruised through a rehab start, six scoreless, 12Ks, one walk last time out. It's been ugly so far this season at 585 ERA, a 160 whip. I wasn't avoiding Trevor Rogers during draft season. I just lucked out, and there was always somebody else in the room that drafted him before I really had a chance to think about it. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued that maybe he's finally figuring it out again, coming off that excellent rehab start. Uh, what are you doing with Trevor Rogers in places where he's available? It's about 50% of CBS leagues where he was previously dropped. 
Well, I mean, probably for the most part, avoiding him. If if there's a league where, and, and this is just not really, I think, the case in any of my uh, for any of my teams right now. But if there's a league where I feel like I can just you know stash somebody, just uh, just kind of on a flyer. I think that Rodgers, uh, probably more so just because of what he did last year than that one rehab start, that was certainly good to see. Uh, but, you know, stash him and uh, see how he does in his first start back for the Marlins before actually starting him. But like I said, because that's a situation I don't really have on any of my teams. I think this time of year, very few of us have a situation where we can just stash somebody to wait and see how they do for a start or two. Uh in, in all reality, I'm probably not going to be rostering Trevor Rogers anywhere this year. I'm willing to take the risk. The ceiling has been shown to be high enough. Uh, I will take the chance on picking him up. I do have a few teams I've talked about throughout the year that I'm still chasing ratios in a big way. I need the what could go right sorts of arms for late season pickups. And I do think Rogers fits that description, but he comes with plenty of risk. If you're in protect ratios mode, I think it is more of a wait and see sort of pickup that you described where you might add them, but you don't necessarily throw them out there in that first turn out there against the Rays if that's the situation that you're in. Let's talk about Ross Stripling for a moment. Are there leagues in which he shouldn't be rostered, especially this week where he's got a road start against the Pirates as his lone matchup? I mean, Ross Stripling has been excellent this year. Yeah, I suppose not. Uh, I, I suppose there isn't any place for, for this week he shouldn't be rostered. I don't know that he should be. Uh, a week-to-week stalwart in a 10-teamer, or even necessarily in a 12-teamer, but should be streamed everywhere. And um, yeah, other than really shallow leagues, I see nothing wrong with keep planning to keep him on your roster for the for the remainder. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a lot to like, actually, with Stripling at this point. High win probability most times out as well, even beyond this matchup against the Pirates coming up in the upcoming week. Another mention for J.P. Sears, the Nando guy of the year, I think, on the mound, pitching really well with this opportunity in the A's rotation. And even if you don't want to pick him up and use him for the rest of the season, I think you want to stream him against the Nats, given the current makeup of that lineup. I have no issue with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would, the only thing that would be better is if it were a home start for Sears, but uh, I, I don't worry too much about him at Washington. Can't wait for all the Sears puns to uh, start rolling in here in the uh, weeks ahead. I'm sure people have been working on those uh, a lot in the last month or so. Let's talk about Spencer Watkins. He's yet another Orioles pitcher who seems to be exceeding expectations this year. Pretty interesting matchups coming up as well. So in what kinds of leagues are you going to be chasing after Spencer Watkins, Al? I'll be bidding on him in my 12-teamer this week. Probably not as a primary uh, bid because I definitely would rather be adding Cavalli or Manning, uh, and I think both are well, yeah, both are available. My twelve teamer and, and probably in a lot of people twelve people's twelve teamers, uh, but he'll be there as a contingent bid because uh, he does have a, a pretty nice two step. Uh, at the Guardians, I mean, they don't strike out very much, and Watkins is not a strikeout pitcher, so it, it's. Barely a case where you can say, well, it's, it's somebody who doesn't strike out a lot of batters, but he's got two starts that he could walk away from that Cleveland start. Maybe going six innings deep and still only having like two strikeouts, but then he gets the A's. Uh, he gets the A's at home. So uh, it's, it's a pretty good two-step for Watkins. And I've got one team in particular where um, I, I've got nowhere to move in ERA, but I could move up in whip 
And so I've really had my eye on, on Watkins because he's just barely walking anybody uh, at this point. Uh, over about the last two months, in fact, if we go back to June 25th, he's pitched 54 innings. He's walked nine batters. Uh, and he has a 111 whip. So that's how, you know, that translates there in terms of whip. There's nothing really fluky looking in that 111 whip. The 283 ERA is probably going to regress a little bit. But again, in my particular situation, or if you're in that situation where you're really targeting whip, I think Walk, you know, Watkins is probably going to give you some bulk innings over two starts this week. And I think beyond this week, he could help you uh, climb up those whip standings. Yeah, classic second start is so good that the concerns I have about the first one sort of disappear if I'm looking for innings this week from Spencer Watkins. Austin Voth gets another mention because since July 1st, 20.5% K rate, a 281 ERA, and a 1.10 whip. It's really been a nice transformation for him, leaving the Nationals, landing with the Orioles. Even if you don't want to believe beyond this week, he gets that matchup against the A's and doesn't face the Guardians. So I think there's going to be some spots where Voth pops up onto rosters where he previously would have been ignored. Well, and Dean Kramer, same deal. Doesn't get the, the Guardians matchup. Um, some pretty nice peripherals there and some recent starts too. So... All three looking really good this week. It's great that we've reached the point in late August where we trust Orioles pitchers now. That's <laughs> definitely not what we expected when the season began, but credit to them as a group and to that coaching staff for uh, getting these guys to perform at this level. Park changes certainly uh, help too. It softens those those home matchups that we were previously really kind of afraid of, especially with guys that were less proven. But they're they're showing us this doesn't appear to be a fluke. Uh, Aaron Savali, go ahead, Al. I was going to say, Orioles pitchers and, and Albert Pujols for your offense. Uh, this is 2022. Yeah, it's the late August we were all expecting. Uh, <laughs> Aaron Savali, just like Austin Voth, it's fine if you don't believe. I don't think the streaming situation is quite as good here because the matchup, I believe, is against the Mariners. But this might surprise you. A 199 ERA and a .93 whip with a 25-3 to strikeout-to-walk ratio in his last five starts. It covers 22 and two-thirds innings. He had an injury-shortened outing in that window. There's a little bit of individual outing uh, innings risk here with Savali just based on how the Guardians have managed him. But it does seem like some things have changed in this profile for the better. And he's certainly heading in the right direction after a pretty miserable first half. Yeah, and for me, there's maybe a little bit of confirmation bias here because I've liked Savali pretty much uh, for you know since his, his rookie season, and um, I'm any sign I can take where it looks like he's getting back to uh, to his earlier form, uh, I'm I'm encouraged. I wanted to ask you about Clark Schmidt getting an opportunity at least temporarily with the Yankees. Uh, any concerns about the in-start workloads as he temporarily joins that rotation? Absolutely. I, I just don't expect that Schmidt is going to be going very deep into games, you know, probably not even five innings. So as enticing as it is, I mean, you know, initially seeing the news about Nestor Cortez going on the IL, I thought, okay, yeah, this, this is intriguing. But looking at how Schmidt has been used and given how this could be a very short-term uh, role for him, uh, I, I'm going to be placing my bids and my attention elsewhere this weekend. He did have some longer outings, though, during his time at AAA. I think he went more than four innings on five occasions. So maybe we'll get him there, but it's just going to be an outing or two, perhaps, before he actually can go five at a time. And they might not need him in the rotation long enough for that. So I would say mostly AL-only leagues for Clark Schmidt would be where the appeal is for at least the upcoming week. 
I do think Ryan Yarbrough has a case to be rostered in deeper mixed leagues again, though, because the Rays have been using an opener in front of him, and that bulk innings role has been working. A 347 ERA and a 110 whip since returning back on June 30th. How about a 31 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio in 36 and the third innings? If we knew the Yankees were going to use Clark Schmidt the way the Rays are using Ryan Yarbrough right now, they'd be on equal footing for me. Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. But I, it, for me, Yarborough is actually very similar to Savali in terms of uh, somebody that I've liked for a few years and really encouraged by the the recent positive signs uh, since being used in this role again. And uh, definitely uh, looking for him in my, my 15-teamers this weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline get to a few questions from the folks watching us live on YouTube here on Friday afternoon. Trevor wants to know, with Moncada's injury, looking for a possible backup plan at third base in my playoff matchup next week, who do you prefer among Ryan McMahon, Alec Bohm, Emmanuel Rivera, and Evan Longoria? Longoria is sneakily really good on a per-plate appearance basis yeah. this season, but the injuries have just made it really hard to roster him in a lot of mixed leagues. Yep, yeah. No, I mean, if he played every day, he'd actually be a really easy pick for me in that per per uh, game per production is something that he actually was doing last year too, but with similar downside. So it, it comes down to Bohm and Rivera for me. We already talked about Rivera, uh, but I think I actually would give a slight nod to, to Bohm here. That's a tough call. The scoring in that one, head-to-head points based on linear weight, similar to auto new, no penalty for batter strikeouts. McMahon to me is just so schedule dependent. You know, if the Rockies are at home, that changes everything about him and he's played a lot better more recently so if I don't have the schedule in front of me at the moment if if the Rockies are home for part of the week that might be enough to even steer me to McMahon out of this group but that's a really tough problem to have Uh, so good luck Trevor it's Boehm from Al it's McMahon if he's got three plus at home next week without a whole bunch of lefties taking away that playing time potentially Larry's got a question thinking about dropping Gilbert for George Kirby in a 12 team points only league 
would you actually do that in a league where you can only use the six pitchers? Uh, and I'm assuming this is redraft, which makes that that decision easier. And I think I would. Yeah. Yeah. Kirby just filling up the strike zone right now looks kind of like uh, early career Shane Bieber in in some ways, just with the the walks basically disappearing. So interesting player to uh, think about here, especially because the Mariners are kind of trying to balance the workload without you know, burning up all of his innings, but. They need him if they're going to make the playoffs, so they, they don't really have the luxury of, of backing off him all that much. Uh, let's get to a few schedule-related pitching considerations. I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. Brian Bayo's got a two-step this week at the Twins, home against the Rangers. First start back from injury against the Jays was actually really good. Seven strikeouts over five innings, held them to two runs, only walked one. Uh, what's your interest level in Bayo compared to some of the other pitchers we were looking at? Uh, pretty similar, pretty similar. Uh, and the probably, well, two concerns and one is just, can he follow up that last start against the Blue Jays? Uh, given that his performance prior to going on the IL wasn't, wasn't very encouraging. But the other thing too, is that Nathan Evaldi could come back and take that second start away from Bayo. On the other hand, if he pitches really well against the twins, uh, Cutter Crawford has not pitched that well lately. So I could see a scenario where Avaldi comes back and Bayo stays in. So I think, you know, given Bayo's upside, which we saw at AA and AAA earlier this year, what we saw in this last start, lots of swings and misses in that start. Uh, I, you know, there's a little bit of risk there, but I, I like it. Do you like any of these other four options, though? Because I think Bayo is sort of a, a cut above the rest of these guys. You got Madison Bumgarner. Two at home against the Phillies and Brewers, two teams with plenty to play for. Adrian Hauser, home against the Pirates, road against the D-backs. Kind of nice matchups there, but may have come off the IL too soon. Really struggled in that first start back against the Dodgers. Javier Assad, who we talked about earlier this week, at the Jays, at the Cardinals. That's a rough couple of matchups. And then Jonathan Heasley at the White Sox and at the Tigers, currently holding down a spot for the Royals. Uh, any of one of those four guys kind of stand out to you as someone that you would actually stream if you're just looking for volume? No, <laughs> honestly not. I looked at Hauser a little bit because of that Pirates start. But like you said, that uh, last start was not very good. And at Arizona, that's not what I look at and just say, oh, you know, he can cruise through that. Um, that can be a kind of a dangerous lineup. So out of the four, I have the most interest in Hauser. If, if I had to kind of hold my nose and go with one of them, he's absolutely the, the the guy I would pick. I do have Heasley in the Super Deep League DVR that you and I have talked about on some shows. I'm not even sure I'm going to start Heasley this week, uh, even with the start against the Tigers. So he's, for me, still pretty marginal, even in deep leagues. Yeah, I picked up Adrian Hauser last week because I thought maybe for the two-step he'd cost more this weekend. I think he pitched poorly enough in that first start back where – I just burned a roster spot for a week. But hey, you never know. If he'd pitched well, it might have actually cost me more fab to go get him this weekend. And I'm looking at him and I'm just thinking, I don't know if I can actually justify it. I mean, the situation that I have him in is a my ratios are already broken, so it doesn't matter. So he probably makes my lineup. But I don't know if if ratios were still up for grabs, if I'd be comfortable throwing Hauser, even though I'm with you. I, I think I like him the most with Bumgarner probably second since those two turns both come at home for him. But I, I don't want to start any of these four guys if I can help it. Let's get to some relievers. There is some movement in a few different bullpens, and I'm curious to know if you were chasing any of the other San Diego relievers this weekend. Well, Josh Hader gets a bit of a break from the closer role. Which Padres reliever would you be most likely to pick up? 
It would be Luis Garcia, but it is a situation that I'm avoiding or at the very least making Garcia like my last contingent bid because we are going to talk about uh, two or possibly three other relievers that I just think have more potential to, to actually get steady saves for, for a good portion of the remainder of the season. So I, I just, we talked about Hater earlier this week and I, I have you know faith that he'll be back in that role pretty quickly and, and be fine once he returns. So uh, it's not a situation in San Diego that, that really interests me very much. I think it's a near min sort of bid if you're taking that chance on Garcia or any of the other Padres relievers that might be part of it. It sounds like it is more of a committee sort of approach until Hayter gets that opportunity to, to take the job back again. Uh, any interest in Brandon Hughes in Chicago? I think previously we liked Rowan Wick to get saves there, but Hughes uh, looks like he could put some pressure on Wick as, as the Cubs try and figure out who can close out games for them the rest of the way. I think he, there's a lot of pressure already. He's gotten the last three saves for the Cubs. And when you compare them, Hughes is the one who actually looks like he has more of the closer type profile, a, a pretty good strikeout rate. He's got a lower walk weight, walk rate than Wick does. So I know we were all in on Wick uh, after the trade deadline. And understandably so. I mean, he he has a good enough profile and he has a little bit of experience going in. But, you know, Hughes... You know, granted, a, a relative unknown compared to Wick, but like I said, nailed down three saves for the Cubs uh, recently and some really good numbers this year. So uh, I, I I like him a lot. I think he's the Cubs' closer going forward. Yeah, hey, might have a shot to open 2023 in that role as well. We'll see, you know, which veterans, which free agents they pursue to possibly come in as they try and move through their rebuild. Uh, we found out Ryan Presley is going back to the IL. So is it Rafael Montero that actually draws the most interest for you from a redraft perspective this weekend? Absolutely. Uh, he picked up the save on uh, Thursday night against the Twins. Um, there, he's, it's probably not just going to be Montero. In fact, I saw something on MLB.com that said that it's it's him and Will Smith and uh, Hector Neris. But Montero uh, has the most saves of the three. Uh, he's, you know, Will Smith is a relative newcomer to, to Houston, but uh, you look at, you know, that that uh, Astros bullpen and Montero has been the clear number two guy in succession there. So, and, and he's good. So uh, I would expect that for however long Presley's out, Montero will get the most saves. And probably less available than the other relievers we've talked about so far. Jason Adam, who came up on our episode on Thursday as a reliever on the rise. It seems like you see him as someone that's going to take over a larger share of the save opportunities you know, for the Rays down the stretch. Yeah, I think so. And I would actually give a little bit of an edge to Hughes just because I just think he's probably got the job now. Uh, don't know that for sure, but Adam certainly has a lot more competition and stiffer competition in uh, in the Rays bullpen. So I, I would rank them of the four that we've talked about so far. I would go Hughes, Adam, Montero, and then Garcia. Yeah, I do think Hughes makes some sense in keeper and dynasty leagues, though, because he's probably not going to take a lot of fab to get. And there's a chance that for four five, six bucks, you end up with someone that is closing to begin next season. It's a, it's a dart worth throwing at this point in the year, given how expensive saves tend to be on draft day in a lot of those formats. 
That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We go live at 4 o'clock Eastern. Most Fridays we will be live again next Friday, tanking questions for anybody who shows up live. So thanks to those of you who did that this week. If you are enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave us rating and review, we really appreciate that as well, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to read Al's waiver wire column each and every week. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for just a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. Good luck with your pickups this weekend. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Tuesday.